Exodus chapter 7 and 8. Hosanna, that's what the choir just sang. It means Jesus saves. Jesus has saved, Jesus saves, and Jesus will save. This morning we're talking about the snake, the blood, and the frogs. Better buckle up. It's an interesting passage. The snake, the blood, and the frogs. Our main focus will be on chapter 7 and the first part of chapter 8, but we're going to handle it in three sections, okay? The first, we're going to dip back into verse 28 of chapter 6 to help us give some context. Exodus chapter 6, verse 28, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 7, verse 7. If you're physically able, I want to ask you to please stand in the reading of God's Word. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Let's pray. God, we confess that this is your word and it is alive and that it speaks. God, we are your sheep. God, would you open up our hearts and unplug our ears to hear uh, the powerful, still, truthful voice of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Moses. He said, Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. Moses is basically saying, Lord, I cannot do this. I, I, I can't speak. Now, Moses had already gone before Pharaoh. He had already been there. He had already seen God's hand on him and Aaron. We saw a few weeks ago that it was Moses and Aaron strolling down the city streets, the city of Pharaoh, going to the palace. And certainly they were probably sweating, shaking in their boots, but they walked into the palace. They had a message for Pharaoh, and what happened? Pharaoh did not kill them. In fact, they they delivered the message. They were successful. But here, God wants Moses to go back before Pharaoh, and what happens? Moses starts walking by sight. Moses starts thinking about who? Himself. He starts getting caught up in what he can do for the Lord. And the point is that it's not about what we can do for the Lord anyways. It's all about what God wants to do. So the first point is God's will never lacks God's supply. Moses erred because he started walking by sight. He started getting caught up in what he could do for God instead of what the Lord wanted to do through him. God's will never lacks God's supply. That's basically a quote by Hudson Taylor. And so God's will will never lack God's supply. 
our will, what we want, what we think should happen, it may lack God's supply. But God's will never will. See, the Lord, he, he wasn't nervous about what was about to happen. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, none of those guys were nervous. But Moses was nervous because he started thinking about what he could do and what he couldn't. Do we do that sometimes in our own life? God already has the details worked out if we just go forward in obedience. God already has the details worked out if we go forward in obedience. God, you want my family to move? Where? God, how's that going to work out? The Lord already knows. If he's going to lead you to it, he'll see you through it. There's a quote I'd like to share by a pastor, incredible man of God named Wayne Barber. He passed away last year. Incredible saint of the Lord. He said this, I can't. He never said I could. He can. He always said he would. I'm going to read that again. I can't. He never said I could. He can. He always said he would. See, the message you're going to get on TV and a lot of the televangelists, although there are a few good ones, decent ones, but most of those guys are, you know, uh, well, anyways, we're not talking about that. <laughs> I've got to be careful not to say something I'm going to regret. But most of the, in our culture, what do you hear? You can do it. It's all about you, you know, work hard enough, you can achieve your dreams and yada, yada, yada. The point is, when it comes to biblical Christianity, it's not about what you can do. It, it wasn't about what Moses brought to the table. Although Moses was the greatest one to lead him out, it really, it wasn't because Moses knew some Egyptian. It wasn't because he had an epic white beard. It wasn't because he knew how to be a military general. Although those things that greatly benefited him when he was going to lead the Israelites. But it was about Moses having to depend on God and his humility. That's why God chose Moses. Next we see that God's, God guarantees his personal assistance Look in verse 1 of chapter 7. The Lord said to Moses, after he hears Moses complaining, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Verse 2, you shall speak all that I command you. Now, God doesn't say, Moses, you, you go write some fancy speech, you go work it out, use your education that you learned, and, and share. That's not what God says. But the Lord, he says, I'm going to tell you what to say. I've got it worked out. God guarantees his personal assistance. That should encourage the believers to know that no matter what happens in life, that the Lord is with you. And that's, that's, it sounds good, but do we believe that? The problem today in, in my life and many other believers is that we stop believing. We do. We stop believing. We get maybe burned by people. We get our heart broken, people let us down, and we stop believing in who the Lord is, don't we? But God has not changed. The Lord is still faithful. The Lord still moves. The Lord still answers prayer. Don't stop believing. Do not stop believing because the Lord has not changed. Be encouraged. Though your boat may be rocky, though the wind may be blowing, and the boat is filling up, taking on water, 
the Lord is with you in the boat. The anchor holds. Next, we see in verses 8, we're going to read verses 8 through 13. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord said. It's interesting. When God used this miracle of throwing the staff down, the first time it happened, God basically used that miracle to, to, to convince the elders of Israel to go with Moses and Aaron and to follow him. And it works halfway. They, they agreed with the plan, but they didn't go to the palace with Moses and Aaron. But this time, you'll see, in these first few plagues as we get to them, God uses Aaron to be that agent. And then towards the, the end of the plagues, God begins to use Moses again. It's interesting. But the word there, serpent, in verse 9, it's the Hebrew word tannin. And every other t- place in the Old Testament that that word is used, nowhere does it mean a snake. Now, we, we're not sure what it means. A lot of people will passionately say it was absolutely a snake, that, that that staff, you know, that's what we grew up in Sunday school hearing. But nowhere else in the Old Testament do we use that word for snake. A lot of people believe it was a crocodile, that that, that staff was turned into a crocodile. Regardless, whether it was a snake or a crocodile, it ate up and gobbled up the other crocodiles or snakes. Why is this important? Well, because the plagues, although they seem kind of bizarre, there's a great purpose behind every single one of them. Not only do they each show power over all the gods in Egypt, but there's also a connection to Revelation that we don't have time to look at. But there's, there's all kind of coordination going on that God's doing in these moments. The snake was very symbolic with Pharaoh. The cobra, golden crown, you guys have seen on TV and in your history books. So whether it was a snake, and Pharaoh was actually, they believed to be a god also, or whether it was a crocodile, crocodile, the Egyptian god Sebek, manifested itself in a crocodile. So regardless, God was showing power over all the Egyptian gods. That's the purpose, one of the great purposes of the plagues. Not only was it to set the Israelites free, But it was to show the Egyptians that the Lord is the living God. He's more powerful than all the gods. They had over 2,200 gods in Egypt. So as Pharaoh demands a sign, we see that the enemy is powerful but no match for the Lord. Those staffs, the, the magic guys that Pharaoh had, they also threw their staffs down, turned into a snake or a crocodile. But what happened? Aaron's staff gobbled up those guys' walking sticks. And so, next we see the battle is not ours, but the Lord's. You know, Aaron had no power over 
that staff. He just threw the staff down in obedience. But it's the Lord that he had power over that. Now, what if Aaron would have got all, he could have got all nervous and worked up. Man, I hope that, I hope that their, their staffs don't, you know, doesn't eat my staff. No, it did not matter because the battle is not ours. It is the Lord's. Let's talk about this God, these gods real quick. Now, we're about to get to the first plague, but just to preface it before we get to it. There's a God named Happy, H-A-P-I in English, Happy. Now, Happy was the God of the Nile. You guys know the river, the large river? And the Egyptians believed that, that Happy was all, he was all powerful. In fact, they believed he, he lived in a cave at the start of the Nile River. And they would worship Happy. They would write songs about him and hymns. They would they would give their financial resources at temples designated for happy. And happy, happy was a false god. He was decorated with uh, papyrus plants, and he was surrounded by frogs in lower Egypt. And he was an ancient Egyptian god. Now, happy, his name was happy, but he was not happy, happy, happy. He was dead. He didn't exist. He was not even a real god. And so they were worshiping the Lord. And how much did that break God's heart? To know that some false God that did not even exist was getting all the credit for providing for the Egyptians. There's a hymn that was found written to Happy. Listen to this. Food provider, bounty maker, who creates all that is good. Lord of all, sweetly fragrant, gracious when he comes. Dwelling in the netherworld, he controls both sky and earth. He fills the stores, makes bulge of the barns, gives bounty to the poor. Respect the, listen to this line. Respect the awe his son has made. The Lord who sustains the shores. O oh, joy when you come. Does that sound familiar? It's, count, it's counterfeit. See, Satan knows the gospel. He knows that God has a son. He always has. And that reading that hymn was very boring for you to have to hear. But the, the point is, how much did that break God's heart? This song was meant for the Lord. And that's, he was angry that God is a jealous God. He wanted those people to know him. And so here we see the first plague. Verses 14, we're going to read all the way through verse 25. When the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. And take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink. And the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. 
Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. He lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died. And the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. And he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not even take this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So here's the first plague. God turned the water into blood. You may think, well, that's kind of bizarre, right? Like, that is disgusting. What was the Lord thinking? Well, God was trying to get their attention. And the water was a false god for them. God was showing his power. Basically, the Lord, he struck the heart of this great God, and he caused its blood to run throughout all the land in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. God is true to his promises. Pharaoh hears that, oh, you know, this God's going to do this and do that. Well, what Pharaoh did not understand is that the living God is a man after his word. So God is true to his promises. God did not stutter in trying to warn Pharaoh. You know, today is Sunday, 2017, and there's things that God has said in his word that many of us think, you know, whatever. You know, I'm going to do my thing. But we need to take heed and realize that if God says something, if he has spoken He's true to his word. There are consequences for our sin. And if he's given you a personal word and asked you to do something, he means it. Next, we see that the enemy, enemy's victories are only temporary. Aren't you glad? You see there that Pharaoh's magic boys threw out their staffs as well. You see that Pharaoh's magic boys also turn water into blood. But those victories from the enemy, they're only temporary. You see, God has a leash on Satan. God has a leash on every demonic force and power. And the enemy is defeated on the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. He is rendered powerless. But like a snake that's been run over, a snake that's been killed, it still has reflexes and can still bite. But those victories are only temporary for Satan and his his army. That should encourage you. Well, well, Pastor, why does God God allow these things to, to torment my life? Well, perhaps maybe the Lord is allowing that to happen to drive you to the Lord. Because how many of us, when things are rosy, when things are going well, when there's not adversity, when there's not friction, how often do we think about the Lord? Not very Many of us, we, when, when tragedy strikes, we call on God. And then when God answers our prayer, what do we do? We go back to our life and our own business. And there's the Lord wanting to have a relationship with us. The Nile River was Egypt's pride and the source of all life and all fertility. And the Lord showed all those Egyptians that he is the Lord. How disgusting was that, by the way? 
I wonder if the, the top layer of that blood hardened and it stunk. The Bible says it stunk. You don't follow the Lord, your life will stink. Next, we see the second plague, chapter 8. Now, if you have a phobia about frogs, feel free to walk out if you need to. <laughs> chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Let's pause right here. Now remember there in chapter 7 when God turned the water into blood, Pharaoh basically was frustrated, but he went back into his bedroom and said, you know, you guys need to deal with this. Go find some water. And they went digging for water. Well, this plague will get Pharaoh's attention because it says that those frogs would come into your house and into your bedroom and onto your bed. Now, that's personal. When there are frogs in the bedroom, like, that gets real personal real quick. Okay, continue, unpause. Verse 8. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow, Moses said, Be it as you say that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs, as he agreed, had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and in the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. See, you don't follow the Lord, your life will stink. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a, was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord has said. So here we see the second plague, the frogs. There is no one like our God. That is what the Lord is trying to tell basically everyone. That's the message. There's none like the Lord. None is high and as awesome as him. None is powerful as he is. He is holy. The frog was worshipped as a manifestation of the goddess Heat, H-E-Q-T, the wife of the god Kum, who believed to be the creator of the world. She was portrayed with the head of a frog. And Egyptian women would wear these necklaces with frogs to symbolize fertility to symbolize life and blessing. And to kill a frog was punishable by death in Egypt. So all of you people that love to go frog gigging, 
you would be a felon in Egypt during this time. They would arrest you, lock you up. No, they, no actually, it says they, they would kill you. So no hope for you if you like to frog egg. Broke God's heart. These people are worshiping frogs. Isn't that just like today? People are worshiping things that are not God's. We worship stuff all the time in our culture. People are giving their lives to things that do not matter in eternity. We're so consumed with, you know, building little fox kingdoms that are not going to last. It still breaks God's heart. And so what God did when he, he chose to turn all the water into the blood. By the way, you think the water in Bay St. Louis is bad. <laughs> the water in Egypt, it was rough. And then the, the frogs. God uses these frogs. How, I mean, God can use donkeys and frogs and bugs. And the Lord can use anything. If he can use all those things, he can use us, right? But the reason God chose these random, what seems to be just bizarre plagues is because he was speaking. He was sending a message to the Egyptians. Because, see, God loved them too. They were created in the image of God. They were Gentiles. And there's none like our God, but also, listen to this, God is the God of mercy. Next point, God is the God of mercy and second chances. Did you know that about the Lord? It's easy to see this. Man, God's, he not, he's not giving these guys a break. But he's, he's being patient. He's asking Pharaoh, basically the first time he asked, really in a nice, polite way. Pharaoh's stubborn. He's, he's like a bunch of us. And, and so God is being merciful. God is giving them second chances. All through the Psalms, it says that the Lord is slow to anger and he's compassionate. That's who the living God is. Don't listen to uh, the lies that people say, oh, God doesn't love people. God doesn't care about people. Friend, it's us that drift far from God. It's not the Lord running from us. God is the God of mercy and grace and second chances. And so that's what God, he wanted Pharaoh to repent. And basically Pharaoh, because the frogs were in his bedroom on his king-size bed, he was all kind of upset about that. And so he said, look, Moses, tell your God, I've had it with the frogs. You can go worship. And then what happens in verse 15? But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, Respite is a brief time of relief, by the way. He hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Verse 14 says, They gathered all those frogs into heaps, and the land stank. Is this not the most awesome, unique passage? I mean, it's challenging to preach through this. But God's word has a message for us this morning. And I think the theme of what I'm seeing and what you may see is that the Lord is he's sovereign. He does not change. And he's serious. He's serious about his mission. He's serious, about, he, he's serious in his command to us to go, make, go into all the earth and to make disciples of all nations. And so we hear that. That's our command. That's the mission. We're either going to be on board with that or we're not. We're either going to, you know, God, how can I help this mission? Sign me up. Or we're going to say, you know, Lord, I'm going to do my thing. 
I'm going to have my little family, and we'll operate how we want to. And uh, when we have a crisis, we'll come back and ask you to help us. And that's what a lot of people in our culture do. How sad. How sad. As we close, let's think about Moses and Aaron. Two guys in their 80s. Think about that. And there they were. God, God could have used anybody. But he chose these two fellows in their 80s for a great purpose. And God sends them to go back to Pharaoh, and they begin to walk by sight. They, they got caught up in what they could do for the Lord. And earlier, as I'm talking about getting on board with God's mission, a lot of us immediately started thinking, what can I do to help the Great Commission? Well, there's the mistake right there. We're thinking, what can I do? It's not about us. God already has the details worked out. He just wants us to say, Lord, here I am, send me. And he will provide the resources. He will provide the wisdom. He will provide the words. He will provide everything if we'll get on board with him. But there's Moses and Aaron, and they just flat out stopped believing the Lord. They stopped believing that God was with them. They stopped believing that the Lord would speak. And this morning, I think in a room this size with this many people, the Lord is quietly whispering, I have not changed, and I'm on a mission. Moses and Aaron were in their 80s. I was thinking this week about most, uh, as I was thinking about the babies, you know, when, when a lot of babies come, normally it means either a war is coming or a movement is about to happen. So I say give peace a chance. Hopefully the movement is going to happen. We've got all these babies. And by the way, we have a whole lot more babies on the way at our church, in case you guys did not know. I was thinking about all these babies, and I thought, throughout history, every great awakening, uh, most, almost every time the revivals, when God did something awesome, it was always through high school students and college students. Now, why is that? Why? Is it because they have something figured out that the rest of us do not? No, it's because they have childlike faith and they believe that God can do anything. But the rest of us, we live life long, long enough, we get educated, we start knowing everything and having all the answers. We get so caught up in what we can do. And so God's not going to bless that. He's not going to bless pride and arrogance. He will bless a heart, though, that says, Lord, I'm all in. God, I may not know the future, but I, I'm, I'm on board with whatever you want to do. I think that's why God moves among high school students and, and college students to start great movements is because, you know, they don't know any different. They're like, Lord, let's go. And I was thinking, as I thought about this week, I thought, man, as I grow older, year to year, I want to get more fired up for the Lord. I don't want to go in the opposite direction. I want to go every year, be more passionate, be more excited, be more fired up about what the Lord is doing among the nations and in my heart. Don't you want that? Paul said, though my outer body is wasting away, my inner, my inner body, my inner soul is being renewed day by day. Don't you want that? 
You may say, well, my body hurts. That's okay. God can renew the inside. So don't stop believing. If you need to listen to the journey song on your way home, do that. Do that. Do whatever it takes to, to be encouraged. Do not stop believing. All of your loved ones that's in heaven, all of our friends and family that's gone to be with the Lord, I think today, if they could tell you something, that's what they would say. Hey, don't stop believing in the Lord. Remember, God's faithful. He knows what he's doing. A better day is coming. Victory is the Lord's. So this morning, how will you respond to this, these really bizarre chapters? There's great truth. God has a clear message. Believe. I am the Lord. God is good, and he's faithful. Let's pray.